On this week's episode, I sit down with Todd Kellum and Alan Gingrich of UKC to talk about the history of the Winter Classic. We hope you stay tuned for this one. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Welcome back to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. I'll be your host today, Trevor Wade. I'm the Coonhound Program Manager here in at UKC, and I'm joined today by a couple of familiar voices for all y'all listening in. I got the Director of Hunting Ops here, Alan Gingrich. Alan, how you doing today? Doing good today. Yeah. Good yeah. to be here. Then I got the Vice President of UKC, Todd Kellum, joining in today. How's it going, Todd? Pretty good. Good. good to see you guys. First one after the in the new year here. We're taping here at the beginning of January. Did everybody have a good Christmas and New Year and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Except we didn't have ice. That's the one thing. This time of year, all of us ice fishermen want to get out and get going. And ah, uh, that was the thing. You know, no ice. So yeah, we had some really cold weather there for about a week and a half, and then it just and then it just the opposite. It had just gotten started. There were some guys just getting on safe ice on some of the early lakes and then we got all that snow yeah that's hard yeah. on the ice and then when you get the yeah. warm weather it's like now we gotta start over <laughs> yeah yeah i don't remember it being as warm as it has been the past week probably this time of year yeah. it seems like kind of unseasonably warm especially after that real bad cold snap yeah it's from one extreme to the next it seems like there we had a, a couple of weeks ago we had high winds you know or winds that was like 30 below zero and now it's 45 degrees outside yeah. But hey, you and I are headed to the Grand American later tomorrow. This Have you week, looked at the forecast yeah, at all? Yeah, yeah, I Does like it. Look it. Good? it looks good. Mid sixties, seventies. Yep. Very little rain, but that can change in an instance. But you never, you never know. But I'm looking forward to a little bit of reprieve. So flying down tomorrow, actually. Yeah. So we'll probably be sick here in the next month or so. <laughs> Thirty below zero to fifty to seventy and back to twenty. Hopefully we stay dry. That's the main thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of bringing in the new year, got Grand American on tap here next or this coming weekend, and then we got Winter Classic next on the on the schedule for the for the Coonhound folks out there listening. And that's kind of what today's going to be uh, dedicated to. Uh, the three of us sat down and talked back in uh, August about Autumn Oaks history, and that was kind of a well received podcast. Had a lot of listeners, got a lot of feedback from it, talking about the history of that. So we decided to do something similar for for Winter Classic, and I. Couldn't think of a, a better two guys to talk to about it. Uh, Todd, I know you've been to virtually all of them outside of the first one. The old, <laughs> that's why you brought in the old guy, you know, the history yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could have probably took this one all yeah. by yourself, but yeah. we'll, be, we'll sit down here and ask you a few questions, I guess. Oh, but Trevor and I are good for the last 10 years, but that first 30 yeah. years, we're leaning on you. <laughs> I'll have a lot of information for the past three or so. So It's like, <laughs> I, I, told, it's it's like I told you two guys, I thought I knew a lot about the history of the Winter Classic till I saw Trevor's show notes, and I thought, jeez, <laughs> I forgot a lot of it. Yeah. I think I kind of scared everybody with my show notes but <laughs> i think the, the media guys i sent them 14 pages worth of notes so like gotta try to keep this under uh you know in oh, the man. in the safe range here but uh man 36 winter classics now this this one coming up in 2023 will be the 36th winter classic and uh i guess it still seems kind of relatively new when you compare it to like autumn oaks and grand american but man 36 years that's it's impressive run 
You know, for me, that was about the t- I started, my first night hunt was in 1989. So the first winter classic was 88. Is that right. right? 1988. So I really don't, you know, that was already in place, I guess. And at that time, I was green to a lot of things. So I, it's not something that I was... It wasn't on your radar. Not really, no. So, yeah, to go back, uh, first winter classic was January of 88. And I started at UKC in May of 88. So I only missed it by a few months making yeah. the first one. And then, yeah, I worked all of them up till oh, a couple of the recent ones I've missed. Yeah. Other, yeah. other travel obligations. But, yeah, that's a long, that's a long stretch, man. Uh, I guess starting out, the whole, the whole reason for the implementation of the Winter Classic may have been uh, historically before that, most of the major events, especially in UKC's registry, of course, there was the Grand American, but that was held in a, a different registry at the time. Um, yeah. We didn't have such a, a major event, kind of a high profile major event in the South at the time. Yeah. And I think part of it was, uh, you know, UKC does a good job at putting on administering our own major events. And it was, you know, something to do in addition to autumn oaks for the people in the South or for the people in the North to come down out of the winter. And it was just another big event for us to do ourselves, really. So where was the American heritage at that point? What so was that, up with it? That didn't come along till later. later. Okay. And then following on the heels of the Winter Classic, we thought, well, let's do one out west also. And UKC will do administer three in addition to the world hunt, remember? Yeah. So can't yeah. forget that. But yeah, so we'll, you know, the American heritage hunt had a good little run out there and yeah. it finally tapered, but. Yeah, but back then there weren't very many major events at all. You had those couple that UKC had and then the breed days, breed, days, breed day yeah. events, and that was about the extent of it. Yeah. yeah. So given the, the people in the South was a major part of it, and I know you probably weren't around whenever they were picking Albany, Georgia, but can you tell us a little bit about those first few years where it was actually held at the South Dartry yeah, Community Center? Yeah, I remember it well, and um, I wish – I can't believe – did I never drive you out there and show you that? It seems like I might have. I, I think one of the first trips I was down there, we went by it, so, I think. So I, remember, I did see part of it. It Wasn't it like a long drive back into – Yeah, and I want to say – what it, I, I don't know if it's 10, 15 miles, and I want to say east of Albany. But, you know, Albany was still our host town with our hotels and – you drive out through, you start to get into plantation country, and you're on this little road, and like you said, you pull down this long drive with the tall pines bordering the drive, and a big white manor house down at the end of it, like an old classic plantation manor house, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Now, it was not a, a huge piece of property, so even when I saw it the first time, I thought, where are we going to park everybody? It's all really nice manicured grass. The house is beautiful. And we got that set up to where hunters have to go in there to check in. And it's nice carpet and tile and stuff. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh man, you know, muddy boots. And But we did have a big tent set up out in the yard. So that's where we conducted all the drawing, you know, and the organizing casts and the seminars, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, it was just a beautiful setting. And it was there for three years. And just what we predicted would happen did, and that was to get some rain. Now trucks start cutting up the grounds. It really wasn't. By that point, we were kind of outgrowing it anyway. And um, it didn't have a big dog barn, which was a big thing back then for the right. 
So what did the what did the entries look like in those early days? I I got you right here if you want me to. I, yeah, take it. That that first event, just like you said, the last weekend in January, which it was up all the way until 2017 uh, after the move to Batesville, which we'll get to later on. But that first uh, first event, you had 15 vendors there, which I thought was an interesting to note. Uh, 470 pre entries for the hunt, uh, which was the only way to to enter at the time, and then around. Uh, 150 entries into the show. I didn't have an exact number. But you have to remember that those pre-entries, that was that was a set up at that point to run like Autumn Oaks. Yeah. Where it yeah. was a one one hunt run. That's right. Two nights. That's right. Yeah, this was, uh, in the very first year, it would have just been like Autumn Oaks South. Uh, it's yep. uh, one hunt ran over two nights. Yep. The way you awarded everything from Grand Night Champions of Breed, which is how Autumn Oaks still is. That's how you used to award them there. Uh, first through third, night champion, first through 10th registered, all the same as Autumn Oaks. And uh, well, when you got show, a model as yeah. successful as Automotive, why wouldn't you follow up with yeah. it, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and the show uh, started out just being. I thought this was interesting. The registered show was on Saturday, and then actually the champions and grands uh, and the pairs showed on Sunday after the night hunt awards. And I'm not sure how long it was like that. I think just uh, the first couple of years, but that's uh, that's kind of foreign. That? I don't remember that. Yeah, no. that may no. have just been a first year thing, but that's. Uh, I don't know why it would have been set up that. Now way. that you mentioned that, I think I've I remember reading that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that first year, uh, it was always interesting to talk about uh, satellite clubs and where they started out. Started out obviously with the Deep South Club there, right in Albany, and then you had uh, satellite clubs in Moultrie, Valdosta, Thomasville, Brookfield. Cairo and Cochrane, all there in Georgia. Now, one thing you have to remember is um, the Deep South Club wasn't formed until the event three years after it started moved to the Exchange Club Fairgrounds. That's when the Deep South Club was formed. Yeah. And it was formed because, you know, Jimmy and Carol are like, how come you're not hunting any dogs off the ground? You're sending them all the satellites? We can hunt. We can hunt plenty right here around all of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they formed that club just as a host club for the Winter Classic. Isn't that And it went on to be a successful yeah. club with RQEs yeah. Yeah. and yeah. everything else they did. But the first three years, there was no Deep South Send Classic. Sent them all huh. to, to other clubs. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. And, and one that we just talked about before we came on air, one note that was in uh, talking about it beforehand was that this event was the first major event that featured a new state-of-the-art style collapsible show bench that was unheard of before this show apparently the first major event where this this got uh brought out and and you kind of knew about that personally yeah. right but it's fun to think about that because when i started here out in the garage we had these big long show benches there's probably four of them that would hold i don't know three or four dogs on one bench right we carted those things all around the autumn oaks and but, yeah, so I think in the notes there it said something about Kerry Linton. But the truth is, I think Martin Blackmer, an old plot guy from Michigan, um, he came up with that idea, as far as I know, and marketed it as a Bearcat bench, which was the name of his kennels. And uh, and you still see that BC on the bench. We had one out in the garage not too long ago. Yeah, we I, still do. I yeah, think half of them are still yeah, out there. Yeah, six or seven of them. So, you know, Martin was up in age at that time, and he was building benches, and it was taken off around the country. We started using them, and that's when Kerry Linton took him over from Martin. Okay. Yeah. And he made some improvements. You know, I think he went from pine to oak and some yeah. different things. Yeah. And they're super heavy. You know, we still use them. We've done, some, uh, we've done some repairs on some of them, but they're still the same benches we're using. Uh, the one thing I've been wrong for a, lot of, for a lot of years, I always, for some reason, thought that when first Winter Classic – was in 85 
And when I talk, uh, tell people about these benches we still have, <laughs> I always tell them they've been around since 85, but I was wrong. It's actually 88. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, the next year, moving into 89, second year into it, there wasn't many changes. I think we're just probably going to hit the highlights of what happened every year maybe or, or as highlights come over the years. But one thing I saw that was a little bit different that people today wouldn't be familiar with was this would be the first year that the champion class was split into two different uh, sexes. The males showed against each other only and the females against each other only. In 88, all the all the champion uh, show people showed together and actually were placed in the show. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. That. that happened in 89. And it, there was a little bit of a mention, and I had to give it in here for our friend LB Neat. In uh, 1989, his son, uh, Gary, won the Coon Squall and by mouth contest for the second year in a row. And he was <laughs> six and seven years old when he was winning these. Really? Going against adults. So, <laughs> Do you remember that? See, I remember having those Coon Squalling contests. Yeah. We'd have mechanical division and mouth division. It used to be uh, a big thing back in did. the day, wasn't it? Yeah. You yeah. get five or six entrants, you know, it seems like. Yeah. It's hard to get people to do that kind of stuff anymore, it seems like. I don't know, but that would be so fun to watch back yeah. in the day, especially, you know, youngsters competing against adults yeah. even. How about LB Neat guys like that? When I think back of the Winter Classic, I think of Max Summerlin oh. for some reason, you know. Well, he was the, the master of hounds. He was kind of the face for officials for eight, UKC in that era. Yeah. The first 18 years, Max Summerlin was the head master of hounds at, at Winter Classic, and we were going to give him his dues for that. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's – deserved it. Yeah. Very, yeah. very well respected. So uh, back in, you know, I wonder why that area, uh, warm, warmer climate, obviously, and in the south. But the hunting was, you know, it's not the best hunting in the world or in the country, you know. But back then, that was big for uh, for uh, birds, uh, bird hunting, obviously. Yeah, and it still is. And is. And they used a lot of the plantations around that area to hunt. But how were, how was the game back then? Yeah, it seems like that was always in in down there. Feeders are a big part of it, right? And that that can skew your hunt. One yeah. one cast is not on feeders, and one's on good feeders, and it that makes the draw kind of important. One of the first times I hunted at the Winter Classic, I remember that was we were on a uh, some type of a quail plantation. I think everything was flat, you know, and and it had some. I remember it had a water puddle, what looked like a water puddle to me. And I step into that thing and down I go. That was, you know, back home. So no bottom in that puddle. No huh? bottom in it. You know, it did got my attention big time, you know, but that was something that was different. But yeah. yeah. That that Albany area is historical as far as up, you know, quail hunting and all age field trials for the pointers. And it still is to this day. Well, see, when when I started here, my first winter classic was in two thousand five, and then they always had some bird dog event going on down there on the same week it was a quail unlimited yeah banquet which so, was a fundraiser for okay so it was just a yeah. just a banquet and i think they did some celebrity hunts yeah. and things like yeah. that yeah so was that going on back in the late 80s when you no, were no that, yeah. that came along later yeah. One cool picture in that 1990 uh, issue of Coonhound Bloodlines there was a picture of you actually out in the field doing i think a wednesday evening quail hunt it said probably the day you guys Flew in early and you got in a quick quail hunt. So that's yeah. I think that was with Jack Jones. He was yeah. he was a prominent one down there for us, lining up guides and stuff. And uh, he was a bird hunter too. And you know, you get to talking to guys at events. He's he's like, next year we'll we'll do a bird hunt. And of course, I had to say yes yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, going to '91, that's the year you said. Of course, after three years, moved to the Exchange Club Fairgrounds, and that that move seemed like 
as it was growing, had to kind of grow with it. So yeah, it was it was needed and it worked well for a lot of years. That fairgrounds is a little different than most fairgrounds we go to. You're talking about the Exchange Club, it's ran by a group of prominent businessmen. Well, it's it? like a Rotary Club, I think, would be the way to explain it. It's a very tight group of yeah businessmen in that town, and it's like a Rotary Club. They meet on other things. They have their county fair. Yeah. Yeah, and then in addition to that, I think this was their their biggest event that they you know looked forward to. Yeah, yeah, and they showed up in force, didn't oh, they? Oh, they did. And food, man, they used to have food down there. You know that was a big thing, and had a nice big kitchen that there. Kitchen was good, very good. Breakfast started first early in the morning with breakfast. You know they had it all there. They had their orange jackets on. They were yep. very identifiable. They yep. they sell the tickets to a rifle every year yep. right where you walked in the headquarters building and. I can remember we'd pull on the grounds and they'd all come running for their pin. Remember yeah, those, those yeah, pins we'd give to yeah, all entries? Yeah. Those guys, they look so – they'd have those hats just full of hat yeah, pins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they love that. Yeah. Yeah, so by 1991, you were hunting – 511 dogs entered in the hunt, 164 in the show. And this is a year that you guys went to a two-bench show judge format. Uh, splitting it up where one judge was doing registered in pairs in the morning. And then later that afternoon after the kids, kids, the unlicensed kids been show would have been champions grands and overall by a second judge. And to this day, we still use a two judge format for, for winter classic. Yeah. Let's talk about those first shows though. At uh, exchange club fairgrounds, they had that covered arena, open sided arena out where the dog barns are. And that's where we held our show for, I don't know, the first 10 years, maybe. Yeah. And man, I mean, you're in South Georgia, you think it's always going to be beautiful, right? No. There were some cold, windy days out under that open-sided thing, and you're trying to hold your bench show cards, and you got gloves on, and dog barn dogs are barking. It was miserable. Yeah. That miserable. building was probably kind of like a refrigerator, wasn't oh, it? Man. No insulation or anything. Yeah. If it was cold, it was cold in there. So eventually we made the decision to move the show. I don't know if that's in your notes it, or not. It will be. Yeah. Okay. I, think, I think it was the first year, Wayne, uh, maybe the first time Wayne Cavanaugh, after he became president, okay. was at the event. And and you talk about it in one of your articles, how you've never been so excited to to give an announcement that this will be the last time this show's ever in this open-sided <laughs> barn out there. Wow. <laughs> and really, that the... The headquarters building wasn't quite big enough for a show, but it was still better than where it was. We had to cut out some vendor booths and open up that one end of it for a show arena. And it was tight, but it was better. So what year was that? What what year did that happen? Uh, we'll have to get to it. It's, it's on in the uh, early 2000s, I believe. Hey, um, if you think about it, it was probably that way from the get-go there at that uh, in that building, but that was packed. Tight. Oh, yeah. Vendors, what we'd have what, two vendors down the center, back to back down the center yep. of the building, and then uh, along each side of the building, but just the small aisleways. And then that, uh, by today's standards, that bench show ring down there at the other end tiny. was small. Yeah. Packed. It was wall, elbow to elbow, and hard to get through there. You guys suffered through that built that open side of building all the way to 2002. You put your time in out there, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a lot of cold Saturdays. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> but I, I did want to note one, the overall bench show winner this year, world show champion, grand champion, Capital City Sam, uh, Johnny and Lakita Brinkley. If you, as you read through the Winter Classic history, those are names you see over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And Sam in particular, this is a dog in the second ever Winter Classic. He was the best male of show. The next year in 1990, he was the champion male. 
And then in 1991, he ended up winning the overall. So that dog went pretty impressive win. Everything. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So we'll fast forward a couple of years to uh, 1993. And uh, this was a year that, uh, well, you guys started using, uh, did away with the convoys and you started using a draw system. And I think we talked about that a little bit in Autumn Oaks. That might have been the first time you ever did it with the Winter Classic, the following, but with the whiteboards and the maps and kind of doing away with the convoys. And it was just, here's your map. Here's how you get there. You need to be there by 7 p.m. And that probably took a lot of pressure off of. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it was the last year that we did convoys. It would make sense in my mind that it was. But I can remember the only time we ever had an incident that I was involved with. It was at Albany at the Exchange Club Fairgrounds. We were lining up convoys on that back road. So you got 30 or 40 trucks in a line, right, trying to get everybody organized. And there was one animal rights lady that pulled up on the road right in front of this line of trucks. And she's going to stop the hunt. One yeah. person, not a whole group of yeah. them. Yeah. And I can still, I was there, so I can remember her screaming, you're about the coons, you're going to traumatize them. You're going to traumatize them. Uh, <laughs> finally, I think the police come and shuffled her off. And that may have been when we stopped the convoys. I, I don't remember, but I do remember that incident. Yeah. Con yeah. Doing away with convoys. But still at the time, you guys were still getting, uh, you hunted 550 dogs at this time uh, over the two nights. That was your cap of hunts, of hunters going to the woods. And if you equal that out, you still have non-hunting judges at the time. That's 70 a night. Can you talk a little bit about that process? I can't imagine it today, trying I to know. get together I 70. Know. You know, it, it was part of it back then. So people stepped up. They knew it was expected and it was a responsibility for being, you know, competition hunter. And yeah, it was hard. I'm not going to say it wasn't hard, but it was expected. So You didn't know any different. Yeah. Yeah. And really, for a lot of the locals, they were, that's what they probably did. They had to, they used them to probably judge, so they didn't even get to hunt. Yep. An event that's right in their backyard. I mean, you're hoping your judges were the most qualified guys. Now, were they always, or were they the guy? I can tell you exactly <laughs> all. <laughs> By today's standards. Okay, and that's, you know, that's and why been, eventually we had to make the switch, right? Because you don't have the most qualified right. guy carrying the scorecard on a cast. But I don't think back in those days the uh, the expect or expectations of the judges weren't nearly as great as they are today. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, it, it was that wasn't that big of a deal. I don't think back in the day so much. I can see that it really didn't lend to that many problems. I mean, if you think back, we didn't have any more formal complaints than we do today that I can remember. Yeah, we, when you look through the the history of the event, it always alludes to how few questions or problems there were. So the judges must have been doing okay, but also it's a testament to the the local clubs and to to UKC and to the officials uh, making sure they were getting quality judges and also making sure the hunters knew they meant before they went to the woods that it wasn't going to be tolerated that way. Yeah. So when I first came on, uh, the the uh, uh, chamber of commerce was huge there for us and probably still sets the, you know, they're the model chamber that I've ever dealt with, I guess. Uh, how was it, how was it back when you first started? Were they well, very involved Well, I think that involved when we made the move to the exchange club. I think that was all part of that evolution. They, you know, that city saw that this event was a success and how many people it drew. And it was just a natural progression. And you're right. That was one of the best we've ever had. 
And not just that, the locals came out. For yep. the Saturdays, it was, you know, it was, the crowds were huge. And there was a lot of hunters and things like that, you know, but the locals made up a lot of that crowd as well. It was a fairground type atmosphere, yeah. you know, a little maybe tighter than Autumn Oaks that, that, as far as the ground. So it seemed busy, yeah. busier, but yeah. the dog barns are full and um, it, it did have a fair atmosphere to it. Then we get we get to 1995, and it, just an important note that year, that was the first and only time that we had a second, uh, a dog win Winter Classic for a second time. That was two-time Albert, a black and tan from East Tennessee. I guess yeah. I got to give Gene and, <laughs> and Mitch a little bit of kudos for, for that. Some team. of your relation there. That's Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Isn't and he your uncle or somebody? Uh, somebody? He's my memo's first cousin. So, okay. I, but growing okay. up, you always hear, it, it, whether you're related to him or not, you hear about two-time Albert. I guess he's kind of a a well-known dog in that part oh, of the country, yeah. and I guess all over. So uh, going forward to 96, uh, another interesting note about the show and just how the show is progressing and to get to where it is today. This would have been the first year that in uh, instead of awarding just an overall grand champion winner in the show, you awarded a grand champion male and a grand champion female to to move on to the to the last show of the day. So that that's a little bit different, something that we just all, always do at all our events now, but a little bit different back in the mid-'90s even. Yeah. And were then, they still using the long benches back then or for the show no we already covered that oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah we did yep yeah, 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 yeah. yeah i don't remember what year that was but the, yeah. the very uh this very first one yeah 88, 88 so yeah. yeah yeah so and then in 1997 that's whenever you made the big move and there was a big write-up about it in the 97 kunal bloodlines the march issue uh the first ukc sponsored major event where hunting judges were used on all casts what was uh, I can only imagine the toss and the relief, buzz around the, right? the fairgrounds, and, and then you got your fingers crossed and holding your breath that it worked. But gosh, it made our life a lot easier. Did you get a lot of backlash from I it. I don't remember that. You don't? I think it was seamless, and you know, it, as it has been it, with different hunts that progressed to that, it really didn't. Yeah, disrupt things. Just from some of the stuff you see, it's almost backwards from what we think about now because people were talking about how big of a disadvantage it's going to be for them to have to be a hunting judge now. And then you alluded to, uh, if you broke it down uh, going through the scorecards, uh, basically 70% of the high score and or the cast winners, high scoring dogs ended up being hunting judges. So it didn't have that kind of effect that you would think. Yeah. And we all, I always try to tell people, so is it, a, is it a disadvantage, you know, to have to listen to your dog and listen to this guy call, or is it a disadvantage to have to, uh, explain to the judge why he's scoring something wrong which which one is more exactly work so i don't remember it seemed like it was seamless and just became the norm yeah after that works good yeah and by uh let's see 97 this is the year that uh, a pretty familiar dog for anybody uh northern blue levi owned by ron taylor just up here in indiana won this year and just a note that you guys made fourth year in a row he was the high scoring uh grand night champion blue tick at this event uh four years in a row coming from indiana down to southern georgia not an easy feat at, a, at an event with that size of entry i mean the odds are against you alan we both had doctor pathfinder twos now for a little while what do you think about yours I'm liking mine. One of the things I had the opportunity to now download a map of an area where I did not have service, and I've used it there, and it has worked flawlessly. I love it. Yeah, I love the crystal clear maps. I love that I never lose reception on my dog's collars anymore. Highly recommended by me as well. 
Dogtra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. And heading into the year 2000, the new millennium, this was kind of a big year for the event because this is the first year that it kind of went off of the Autumn Oaks format and had its own format where a dog could be entered into both nights of the hunt uh, for the first time. And actually, you did away with the cap on how many dogs you could hunt. Just how There was no 550 cap anymore on how many dogs could hunt at the event. It basically boiled down to we'll hunt as many dogs as we have guides to take them to the woods. Right, and, and that's probably – um, due to the success of the hunting judge, right? So we were able to accommodate more dogs. We had guides, you know, the clubs down there were doing a good job with guides and we could hunt more dogs and that was a way to do it. Yeah. And at this time you kind of, uh, changed all the, changed the awards a little bit. You were doing first and second grand each day, first through third night champion, and then first through 10th registered at this time. And it talked about 2000, there being a real bad snowstorm that year. I guess probably not down in, in Albany, but in the rest of the country where it, it makes note that you guys got back to the hotel after doing your setup on Thursday and the receptionist at the front desk had dozens and dozens of notes from people that called your hotel asking about <laughs> if the event was still going on or not. You know, now that's kind of foreign to us. Our our Facebooks and our cell phones will be blowing up, but back yeah. then they're calling the hotel. So uh, I know weather was was always kind of a, an issue, no matter where you are in January and February, it can always be uh, unpredictable and, and cause big issues. Um, uh, moving forward into 2002, and this, uh, I think uh, this is worth noting, is you guys talked about this being the largest crowd that you've seen uh, to date as far as walk-around crowd and also entry crowd. And uh, you guys credit it to local radio advertisement uh, that would have came from a new sponsorship deal with Anheuser-Busch coming on board. Yeah, so one of the things the city was good about or it took advantage of while we were there every year was to have a, a, one of the local stations out there doing live broadcasts from the grounds. So we'd, you'd have to go walk out there and get on on the mic with the local DJ and, <laughs> you know, talk tell the community what's going on because, gosh, there's all the traffic and all the trucks parked out there at the sure. fairgrounds. They're wanting to know what, what it is. So they were yeah, they they love doing that. Anheuser Busch, and then uh, like you like, like we talked about a little bit earlier, two thousand two. That's the year you guys finally uh, did away with the outside uh, open sided barn show and moved it inside into the yeah, into the we arena. We should touch portion. on that Anheuser Busch sponsorship. That you know that was new at that time in the sport, yeah. and and they were really helping us a lot. But at, at the same time, pretty we're controversial. Going, yeah, but how's that? How's yeah. that going to go over? You know, with this. Uh, they did those big Budweiser Eagle Awards, and that became something that everybody wanted. It kind of became a staple for the event for awards. It, it those things weighed like 30 pounds, I but think. But even after the first year when we were went into that kind of, you know, wondering how that's going to be received, I, I remember there being only one complaint. I'm not going to name the individual, but I can remember one person who said they thought it was terrible that, Budweiser was affiliated with a coonhound event, but everybody else, they, you know, of course there was no beer on site or right. anything. And it's just, a, they did, you know, nice things for the event. They the signage were and, signage for, it was, they had it plastered everywhere. Yeah. Nice what, awards. How do you get somebody like that on board? Were they just local to the area? Is that what it was? Yeah. It was a local distributor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ray, and I cannot remember Ray's last name for the life of me. Yeah. 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 He was instrumental in really growing that as far as what we would do today with all the media 
stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But there was probably no other event before or since then that had as much signage as what they provided for us there it around town, everywhere, everywhere you look. All over the city. All yeah. over the city. Nice yeah. signs. Yeah. Yeah. All over. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the next year here, 2003, is whenever the first dual champion class uh, was put into the show taking place of the pairs. And that actually came in kind of a staple of the event where the dual champion winner actually was uh, in a, the next few years was moved on to the to the final show to show for overall in, show in the for next overall. few years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 2004, and this is something Alan and I talked a little bit about yesterday, uh, and it's be kind of the first time you see it alluded to in Coonhounds where uh, there was broad uh, broadcasting and taping at the event. It, it talks about uh, the events were being broadcasted on World Sport Network as part of uh, VOOM, on all satellite services. And there was a lot of pictures of uh, Wayne at the time going around and interviewing and getting highlights of the show and different things like that. That's 2004. Yeah, and I remember wow. the, the celebrity or whatever you want to call her, the, the person that was there was Andrea Joyce. Yep. And you still see her mm -hmm. at times on Olympic coverage yep. and stuff. Yep. So yep. she was there and actually went out on a cast and they were, you know, he stepped up the, the show arena, made it look a little nicer. Um, yeah, that was about the time when Wayne Cavanaugh came on board, right? Yeah, about that time. Yeah, say that's a some of the earlier times are that you'll see of uh, trying to broadcast Coonhound and Coonhound events across pretty pretty cutting edge stuff at the time. I would say. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's like the first event or the first time that I remember of any coverage like that to that extent of a Coonhound event. And it was pretty cool, really. Yeah, it was good. I, yeah, and I think it was the first. I don't remember doing yeah. that. They set the groundwork for the lot of stuff that we're trying to do today. Yeah, part of, of one thing I, I remember, I didn't, I wasn't there that year, but I sent a dog down <laughs> with old Joe Melton. What Tex? Yep, yeah, <laughs> I sent him down there, and uh, I remember I had to call you afterwards and apologize a little bit because I guess he got he ended up getting in a little uh, little scuffle with somebody, and he ended up getting scratched before he ever ever left the ever left the clubhouse. <laughs> I was with my dog. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyways I, oh, I think i called you next week and apologized like man i <laughs> i didn't that wasn't supposed to happen like that and i don't remember what all the details were but uh god bless her now so yeah must not have held I it against think, you yeah. <laughs> water under the bridge now uh, uh, Sorry, around this time in the early 2000s we're looking at 820 hunt entries 260 show entries this this, this event is just on par with Autumn Oaks at this time. Yeah, blowing up at this point. Yeah. Um, and and I guess because of that, this would have been the first year in 04 whenever you decided to have a two-day show, Friday and Saturday, instead of having it all on Saturday. I think the Saturday shows were getting a, a little lengthy into the evening. And uh, and uh, so you cut it up into two days. And having the two sh two judges kind of worked out, you would have one do uh, duels, pairs, and top ten on Friday, and then you'd have registered champion, grand champion, and overall on Saturday at this time, which would change in the future as well. But that's kind of how it was cut off at first. Yeah, it worked well, and it was nicer for the people that were showing too, right? So it's just spread it out for everybody and shorter days. Yeah. And then 2005 was kind of a, a big year in a different way that wasn't directly through Winter Classic, but this would have been the year that Grand American became a UKC event. Um, the entries were a little bit a little bit down from the year prior. I uh, talked a little bit about how maybe Grand American becoming a UKC event and a major UKC event in the South there at the beginning of the year might have had some effect on the Winter Classic event. Probably did a little bit. Well, Probably. if you think about it, you got three major events, all 
what North Carolina, South Carolina, and Grand American. Yep. If you look at um, Southeastern yep. Walker days, mm-hmm. you got all those within on some years close to a month. Yeah. Difference. Yep. Yeah. People had to make some choices. Yeah. Probably so, yeah. set the groundwork for some decisions to come at a later date, probably down the road, right? Yeah. A lot of memories on that in that little era right there for me. Was that your first <laughs> one? Grand American working? was my first event that I went to for UKC. You and I went. Remember where they put us oh, in that yeah. little wall over there, <laughs> that little small building there? Yeah. First year. Yeah. Second year, we graduated to a different spot. But yeah, that was a, and then that was also my first winter classic. Yeah. Back then, it was hard to get a vendor spot at the Grand American. It probably still is. Yeah. Because yeah. people would hold on to their spot they year really after didn't, year, as it, long as you kept applying, you right. hold your spot. They kind of put us in the aisleway that was yeah. against the wall there, and we really blocked it off there. But that was <laughs> uh, that was not very pleasant, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 05, just, uh, we talked about Max Summerlin a little bit earlier. That was the last one he did, 18 in a row he did, from 1988 through 2005. So... Uh, Max put on a lot of these events and, and did well at it. So we'll give mm-hmm. him a shout out on here. Yeah. Uh, 2006, also a little bit different than just talking about it, but this was the year uh, up at, from 1988 to 2005, the March issue of Coon Down Bloodlines was English, was the English issue. Uh, it always had Winter Classic in that March issue, but in 2006, the March issue became Winter Classic specific. And I think uh, English would have got moved to June or July. Mm-hmm. I think it is June. that it is today. Um, man, we, get questions about this sometimes about the covers of magazine. That's probably a, a really big change, especially if you're an English fancier, right? Yeah. Didn't take it away from them. Just, ch- just moved it. Yeah. yeah. Just changed it up a little bit. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah, give the credit, you know, to the dogs at the winter classic. That was a nice. Absolutely. Nice deserved move. it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they absolutely deserved it. And also this year is when you moved the registered portion of the show to Friday to split up that. I think the, uh, the split didn't, wasn't quite down the middle as you wanted because on, uh, on Friday, with that portion of the show, with the register, the or sorry, the duels, the pairs, and the top ten, they were done by about noon. And then on Saturday, I think they went to six thirty. It said so, <laughs> try to even it out a little bit for them. Uh, so we talked about uh, Budweiser and Anheuser Busch a little bit earlier. Uh, Two thousand seven, there was a bunch of pictures in the magazine uh, with the the Budweiser Clydesdale there on site. People taking pictures with it, and I got a pretty good laugh out of that. That's that's pretty cool. I would have wanted to take a picture with it too, but to have it on site there is pretty neat. I remember that year when they were there. Yep. Let's see. Fast forwarding into the late 2000s here. Let's see. 2009, first time that a warm-up slam was held at the at the uh, Winter Classic event. Kind of become a staple of event here of the event here in the past few years for sure. But yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Obviously, I was involved too. with that, and I kind of I, now that you mention it, I kind of remember it. It kind of comes back a little bit, but I guess that's where we had the first warm-up slam hunt. Was there at the Winter Classic in Albany? Yeah. And then the next year in 2010, uh, the article talks about how uh, Allen and the hunting ops team came up with an idea to facilitate the process for confirming advanced entries uh, that greatly improved the lead times and the wait times for confirming events. And if I'm not mistaken, it's pretty similar to what we still do today. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It is basically the same thing as what we're what we're doing now. I don't remember all the specifics, you know, but it was like, uh, I guess, different than you used to do it. Yeah. It's crazy. You, there's always would, it, would Todd Morgan have been on staff at that yep, time? So it was, was mostly still, you and Todd. Yep, that came it up with that yep, yep. system. Yeah, 
That's why I still stay, say today, you know, Todd Morgan was doing all that when I came here, and I kind of worked behind him, even being the manager of the Kunon programs. I still because kinda, I would have been doing the show. Yeah, you were you doing the show, were and you hunt entries. I was. Yeah, you still you still announced all the casts and stuff. You called all the casts and all that. But that's why I still say today, you know, hey, I did all the behind the scenes stuff or yeah. worked on the computers, things that you and and some of the others have have uh, that do now. You know, so. yeah. yeah. The back end of things, you know. Yeah, crazy. You try some new things, and there's always room to improve some way. So yeah. you got to keep trying different things and see what works, and that's going to work. Yeah, and, and at, one, at some point, we always just had allowed for 250 entries each night, and the rest were all put on waiting list at some time. At some point, we um, changed that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so the next year, 2011, and this was a big year for the event, and still how it is now, is uh, instead of uh, the overall winner being the highest score from either night, individual cast winner score, uh, this is when it moved to a double cast winner combined score would be the overall winner starting in 2011. Yeah, and that was a good way to do it. That was a good I'm surprised it took us that long. I know, I know. Because we talked about down there the hunting being a little bit more spotty and yeah. good spots and, and bad spots. Yeah. So, that made things a lot more fair. Yeah, it sure did. We've worked and worked, it feels like, and obviously way before I got here, but even in the past few years, we've worked and worked towards getting away from high scores being the kind of thing and, and where it's almost becomes dependent on people getting out of the way and, and withdrawing from the cast or getting yeah. scratched from the cast to have such a major effect and for you to have a win like that. So I think definitely the double cast win definitely had a good impact and it still works well today. We still yeah. see really reasonable scores and mm -hmm. it works out great. Mm -hmm. Um. And let's see this 2011 also not to mention the show at that 291 uh, entries in the show that day, uh, that uh, weekend that's the largest show entry at that time so and that was the year before the 25th anniversary in 2012 uh, if anybody has that March 2012 issue it was uh, I really enjoyed that article specifically that you wrote there in 2012 about the history and I got a lot of information from that and it's a great resource for anybody who who likes history of events and and coonhound events and Another major thing that happened there on the 25th anniversary, this would have been the first time that a American Leopard Hand won a, a major event that year. Uh, Wilson's all-night striker, Lamar Meeks, handled by Harry Brock, won the hunt that year. First major win for a Leopard Hound. I remember that. Yeah, he was a double-cast winner, I, uh, but uh, he had a good score one night. In, uh, in, uh, but, yeah, double-cast winner. He was a stub-tailed dog, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, Lamar Meeks, he, he was a Georgian. Yeah, Georgian yeah. Guy. You know, another guy who mentioned uh, uh, Culpepper, or not Culpepper, but Max Summerlin did a lot of the master rounds. Another guy that was pretty influential down there was Lloyd Culpepper. Yeah. He was from the South. Which I he would was say from, was a protege of Max. Yeah, he I was. Mean, they did a lot together. He lived in Alabama. He was from, uh, uh, you know, neighboring state there. But, uh, yeah, Lloyd did a Lloyd did a lot. He was a did a well, lot for us down in there. for Max, really, if yeah. he yeah. was next Next yeah. Few. Yeah. yeah, he he basically was uh, the stopgap between Max and uh, the current guys that I'm familiar with now. Right. He was the guy that whole mm -hmm. section in between. Mm -hmm. So yep. he definitely had his hand in a lot of it as well. And so you that, talk, when you talk about the 25th anniversary hunt, I mean, I think we can say that leading up to that, maybe a year or two before, we were already thinking that we probably needed to move the event. Some things had evolved, right? And one of them we, we talked about being the, proximity of the other major events and the other was um the fairgrounds were just starting to deteriorate they were you know the one thing i always remember that got so aggravating for us was the uh, locking the place up at night you know you we had, had a lot we of had, vendor stuff in yeah, there yeah 
a lot of vendors in there, and I remember having to lock up a door with a lead strap. I know a dog leash. You know, it? just every year we'd say <laughs> something, and it just never, never would get fixed. But that, you know, but. yeah, it just started to evolve. But all that being said, um, Albany certainly deserved the 25th anniversary. Sure, yeah, we couldn't even yeah. think about moving that yep. event till yep. after that 25th. Yeah. And that was a that was a big deal that year too. Certainly, sure yeah. was. You know, we mentioned uh, some of these big players. Jimmy Phillips is one that was very influential for us. And in in Jimmy uh, and Carol both, yeah, I, both of them yeah. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were right from that area. And but, well, we talked about they formed that Deep South yeah. Classic Club just mm-hmm. to help with the Winter Classic, mm-hmm. basically. What started it? So, yeah. So after twenty five uh, really successful years in Albany. Uh, 2013 and the 26 years whenever it made the move to Batesville, Mississippi. Yeah, that was a that was kind of a big time. It, it, that was it, stressful. It was <laughs> for it, me. It was, and it was for me as well. I remember there was a lot, you know, trying moving a successful event like that. But you mentioned you know, we had the Grand American and Southeastern there in those six weeks, you know, and and then this event sandwiched in between those. Um, you know, and it was after kind of a recession there in 2008. People were having to kind of pick and choose what events they went to. And it seemed like the time was just right to hey, look elsewhere a little bit. And that's where we looked to the west further. And that's kind of how Batesville came about. Yeah, a little more central, right? And you're in South Georgia. You you can't pull from the east yeah, very far. So right. move it more towards the center of the country right. while staying in the south. And I think, Alan, what you and I tried to do was we looked at club maps and tried to find the highest density. Yep. Where's a pinpoint on this map of the highest density of coon clubs to support a major event? And we kind of settled on that North Mississippi yeah. area. Yeah, I had went, you and I talked about it a little bit this morning when we were reminiscing here, but I went down, I made a trip myself, looked at about three different facilities, and then at some point you went down. I went by myself on one trip. Yeah. Some you your travel schedule got messed up because we were both going. Yeah, and then something you couldn't go, and I'm like, oh shoot, okay. Well, now you're looking at event facilities, trying to make a decision that affects the whole sport without having someone else there yeah. to say, yeah. you know, to help you with a decision. It's like, wow. And and not just that, you know, we eventually uh, decided on on Batesville, you know, a nice facility where we still are there, you know, but uh, that was that was tough. Even we took some criticism, yeah, you know, and detractors that said, yeah, "Oh, cool yeah. owners are never going to want to go yeah. to a place like that." Yeah, and you know, there was, you know, moving from Albany, you know, that was, hey, Albany was Albany was nice too. Yeah, and I always said, yeah. as you know, I hunted there before I worked here, you know, so as a hunter, I didn't go there too because of the good game population. Right. You didn't, right? You know, and it still kind of works. You know, we're from the north, and we still get a lot of people that come to the Winter Classic. You know, when it's held that time of the year, just to get out from, you know, cabin fever and things like that, you know. But uh, that's why we went down there, you know. And it was, uh, Albany was, Albany was really, really good while we were there. It was, yeah. you know, and it's uh, a lot of history there. And I I loved it, you yeah. know, but not to take away from Batesville, you know, it's changed it. But right. uh, uh, just kind of evolved, I guess. What's what's the but first? It was imp- successful. Yeah. It was a successful yeah. move. Yeah. There again, it was something yeah. you know you stress out about and think, oh, how can and it didn't take long. You know, oh. after the first year, we had a great entry. I don't remember what it was. Over eight hundred dogs entered in the first one, and it rivaled the the records for Winter Classic. You know, yeah. but that's the first year. But then it kept continued that. You know, the year two and three, and at some point, we had the largest entry. Oh. 
They're a base so nice. Everything yeah. under that one roof. Yeah. It's just nice. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. What's, what's the first impression when you walk into a place like the Batesville Civic Center and it's unlike any other place that there's a coonhound, a coonhound event held all year? Well, that's what makes it stressful, right? Yeah. You're thinking yeah. this, this could work. Yeah. You know, it could be really nice. Um, I think it was, it made it a little easier in that, would we look at a half dozen places at least? We did, yeah. And there really wasn't a close second. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one, if there would have been one, you know, more like a fairgrounds and then you got this, I, that, that could have, but, but there really wasn't a close second right. that I remember. So it made the decision easier. The byways there and everything, it just kind of all came together. And, yeah. Yeah. Being from Tennessee, going to I actually went to the Winter Classic before I ever went to Autumn Oaks, and when I walked into the Civic Center the first time, kind of was like, man, this is what a major event feels like right here. With you're on the concourse and everything's down there below you, and it's just decked out. And man, it just that more so than any other event. When you walk into one place and look at around, you think, man, this is what a major event feels like. And I still feel that way going into that place. Were you hunting a dog or just down there hunting? Yeah, I was hunting a dog. Yeah. It was. Did you think you're out of your element? I <laughs> was. I was overwhelmed. Yeah, I was very overwhelmed. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and and talking about that first year, like you said, 885 advanced hunt entries. If you guys were worried at all about the entries, uh, largest hunt entry for the, to that date there in the first year in Batesville. Um, but I think uh, one of your, uh, both of you guys' biggest concerns may have been the clay arena floor and how it was going to affect oh, the venues and the bench show at the that. time. Yeah. <laughs> I've not forgot about that. <laughs> dusty. It was dusty. They had clay bottom, clay like eighteen inches of clay, but then they had sand, like six inches yeah. of sand on top of that, and it got dry and dusty. Oh, and I remember to, the vendors complained about it. The bench show, you know, you're gating dogs around there, <laughs> yeah. trying to level benches. Oh, it was, and they yeah. water it. They they yeah. it was costly to get the sand out for one weekend. Yeah, the clay. Yeah, so. Yeah, those were some trying years. Yeah. And and man, uh Ronnie Stark was you guys allude to him being the kind of the guide coordinator and your guys point of contact there in the Batesville area still is to this day, uh, ten years later. It's done a good job at helping that event grow and keeping keeping hunters in and Yeah, invested. it's really really served us well for the event and uh, it's uh it's been a good place and I think it was a good move. Yeah, I, I do remember, you know, the uh, we got uh, some backlash, you know, moving it from us, uh, from Albany like that. It was, that was hard on me. It was one of the, I'd say it was probably the second most stressful <laughs> thing I've had to deal with here at UKC was uh, moving that event. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'll say it, there was a few guys that, uh, that, you know, I used to look up to that, you know, had their opinions on it, made their public comments about yeah. it. And it, uh, it, it kind of, you know, stung a little it, bit. It stung. Yeah. It did, you know, but then it, it, it kind of, it all worked out and yeah. Hey, that's where we left it. Let it speak for itself, yeah. you know, but, uh, Hey, and that's, uh, you know, you, you don't know, sometimes you don't know until sometimes you try. And that was one of them, you know, on paper, I remember it looked good and, yeah. it, and it has proven that. Always. So it was, it ended up being a good move. Yeah. Uh, satellite clothes for that first year you had, of course, you were hunting off the ground in Batesville. Uh, you had Arca Bootla. I'm not familiar with that. Arca Bootla. Butler, don't use it anymore. Uh, Walnut, Casilla, and then two I'm familiar with, Vardaman and Winona. I still use those to this day. And then I think you guys you guys were uh, not expecting as many entries. You got 885. It's quite a few entries. And uh, called on uh, Philip Heron over at the Mariana Arkansas Club, and and he's also still doing that to this day. Uh, 
hosting Satellite Club for us. So. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, went to two night slams in 2014. Uh, 2015, the slams were still being hunted off of uh, uh, at Satellite Clubs at the time before it eventually moved to the grounds in 2016. And uh, in, in and this is something I'm not very familiar with. In 2015, um, the top 10 bench show used to what you used to do is pick a breed winner from each of the the recognized breeds for them to move on to premier. Starting in 2015, you started actually awarding a top 10 bench show champion at the Winter Classic at the event. So uh, that was a little note for the show there in 2015. Uh, 2017 is whenever it made the move from the last weekend in January to the second weekend in February. Um, was that just to kind of move it away from, uh, it had to American? do with the civic center. Schedule. It did. Oh, yeah. Civic center, uh, scheduling. Or I maybe think. us wanting to get the dirt out of the arena. That, that was a big part of it. Yeah. Being able to do that, yeah. you know, it, it made it hard before, uh, based on the events they had. Correct. I think they had a rodeo or some cattle event the week Go after that. Yeah. Something. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. And again, something that you may be worried about doing a date change and how it's going to affect your entry. Actually, the most entries in the events history there in 2017, you had upwards of 1,040 uh, advanced night hunt entries that yeah. year. And that's still the, that's still the record <laughs> for UKC. That's a good one. Yeah. So it was either that or the fact that in 2017 was the first year that the the civic center was able to move off all the dirt off the arena floor so people said yeah let's go now that the dirt's gone yeah. right yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah the vendors came back and man that show was nice yep. uh let's see uh this year would have been uh just one important note with a winter classic coming up we got mary and uh and ronnie bergbauer judging the event this year but you guys talked about in the 2017 magazine uh scott and connie hogan judged the judged the show that year as a, you know, kind of a husband wife duo. And that was the first time it had kind of been done in a major event doing it that way. And now it's kind of something you almost try to do to, to make sure it's less problems with the, you know, conflicts for oh. a judge. Yeah. And, and it's kind of worked out. I think there's a couple others. Didn't we use, um, um, the one from Virginia, um, who was that, that we use that husband and wife team. We're using them at autumn Oaks. I think this year. Oh, you're talking about the Brooks. Yeah. Brooks. Yeah. Brooks. Yeah. Yep. Eric and, we use them as well. So, yeah. 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 Kind of makes sense to do it that way. Uh, 2018, started going with a computerized uh, system for confirming entries. Uh, I know we've we've had some different tweaks to that over the years, but uh, I think we've I think we finally got it uh, ironed out and good to go by now, yeah. don't we? But, and uh, one thing I wanted to talk about in this one, and we talked about a little bit, well, uh, I know we've maybe even talked about it on the podcast before, was uh, this was the year that you guys recognized the eldest handler in the room. You probably had a conversation with uh, this this fellow. David Pillow was his name. He was 75 years old. Yeah. He's hunting yeah. an 11-year-old dog, and you kind of gave him his recognition in front of the crowd before yeah. cast calls that day. Yeah, I remember I was taking entries that day. You mentioned the the first the new system that we were using, computerized system. So I was kind of hands-on that that year, and he was, he was in my line, and I just noticed he was an older fella, and I saw how old his dog was at a – he was hunting an older dog as well, you know, so I asked him how old he was and kind of kind of set it up for later that night to kind of point him out in the crowd and everything. But, yeah. Yeah. 75 years old. 75, yeah. Yeah. And then, unfortunate, that night. Yeah, that was a very unfortunate issue or uh, incident that night. He's the one that had the uh, stroke that night and, and unfortunately passed on that night, something I'll never forget. You know, it was a pretty big deal, you know. But, uh, yeah, and it's just a super nice man. I remember when I mentioned his name that earlier that night, uh, he stood up there in the seats or whatever, and, and he was just a happy, he was very proud, of and very proud of it, and happy Good. guy. And I yeah. guess things happen for a reason, you know. But uh, yeah, I'll always remember Mr. David Pillow. Yeah. 
And now, even to this day, we still uh, recognize the eldest hun- hun- handlers in the room on uh, on that Friday, and that's always a big deal. We always have a couple that are over 70, and Mr. Charlie Morris, he'll be 81 this year, and I'm sure he'll be down there hunting. He's took home <laughs> yeah. the plaque the past few years. So. I think that's the only reason he still comes, <laughs> is just for that plaque, I think. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of brings us into the more modern times now. Uh, something like 2019, the year I started, I would have started after the Winter Classic that year. But this is the year that you uh, started hunting Grand Night Champions and Night Champions together, which kind of changed this event a little bit more so. Because um, Autumn Oaks, you still split them up because of the Grand Night Division and National Grand Night Champion. But at uh, Winter Classic, you, you still uh, the Champion Division consists of both Night Champions and Grand Knights. Yeah, and that's been an interesting event to uh, to kind of see how that unfolds. And it's worked uh, quite well, really. It yeah. really. And today, we don't even hear anything, you know, one way or another anymore. If you think about it, we never hear anything no. anymore. But that was the first major event where Champs and Grands all drew out together. Yeah, in that time. And, and from then on, we've... Uh, We've kind of changed the awards, and there's quite a few awards given out that weekend. First through 10th champion division and first through 10th registered division each night, Friday and Saturday night, that we do the morning after at 9 a.m. there on the arena floor, and it's kind of a, a cool deal to be there. Yeah, and and it kind of I kind of like it, and I think our uh, the, the hunters like it as well. You know, in the old or in the old days, we gave five placements for champion and and only one for grand. Yeah, right. You know, and now we're doing 10 yeah. registered and 10 in the champion division as well. So it's kind of working out. Yep. And you'd be surprised how many of those night champion dogs win their cast up against the grands, you know? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of times, often, I always thought, personally, me personally, is the grand division was the harder one to win because a lot of times those were the dogs that are being hunted night in and night out, you know? And and uh, and if you had, uh, oftentimes, the grands were kind of on the back burner, you know, and, and easier to beat, I always thought, you know, <laughs> if you had one that, uh, yeah, you know, if you if you had one that was ready anyways, yeah. so. I don't disagree with that. Uh, and not taking anything theory. away no, from them, but yeah. 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 And in 2019, you also did away with the dual champion class at uh, at Winter Classic. And obviously that took them away from being able to compete in the finals. Probably has to do with something that the entry just wasn't there for that dual class. And they were getting, uh, they were moving straight to the, to the overall. Um, but yeah, the, well, a little bit of that had to do with us having the dual champion national championship at Autumn Oaks. Okay. And we kind of took yeah. that away from, you know, used to do that at, at the Winter Classic. And then that's where we had the, uh, we used to have pairs at, at Autumn Oaks as well. Yeah. That, that we moved the pairs over to the Winter Classic. So, yeah. Kind of yeah. can only do what you got time for, right? Yeah. Those, those so there's a lot of changes up a yeah, little bit once in a while. You do, you know, and, you, you know, we talked about the old days and a lot of things have changed with the Winter Classic, you know, what it looked like. And it's still, it's, but it's still cool to go back there to see where it came from and what it used to look like and what it looks like today. You know, you you mentioned uh, you mentioned a little while ago something about you know back in the day, day they used one long bench for the shows. Now we're giving a fifteen thousand dollar award for our top ten at the Winter Classic. You know, how things have changed. Yeah. Definitely came over across the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty twenty one just here recently. Like you said, we moved, we got the top ten bench show now. That's became a big deal, a standalone show on Friday night, and we've put a lot of effort into making that kind of this show of the year. Uh, giving away fifteen thousand dollars, you know, we do it under the lights there on the arena floor, and 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 put a lot of effort into that. And also, we started taking walk up night hunt entries for the first time, twenty twenty one Winter Classic, and that's kind of became a big deal there. I think 
this past year we took over a hundred and a hundred and ninety seven over two nights at Winter Classic this past yeah, year. Yeah, and that's actually worked quite well for us, really. We don't use a waiting list anymore. Everybody that enters in advance, we don't put any of those in a waiting list. We use our walk ups for their waiting list. We we need wait listed entries, right. you know, but that has really worked well and it's pretty cool how it has worked out that way. So Yeah. I think it kinda works for everybody. It's a a little friendlier if somebody didn't get entered in time or what have you, well, you can still do it on the day of. Sure. It's going to cost them a little bit more for their entry fee, and it has to be that way. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, so I thought this was kind of a fitting tribute to Winter Classic, one of the uh, major, major events. Now, 35 years of it. We're going heading to the 36th year of Winter Classic. A little bit about the history of it, and I hope you guys enjoyed us us talking about it. Uh, get out and compete against it. It's coming this year, February 10th and 11th, down in Batesville, Mississippi. Uh, it really... makes you wonder what the next 20 years yeah. is going to hold. Yeah, yeah. You know, Trevor might have a lot more input and a lot more influence in the next <laughs> 20 years than you and I. are talking about <laughs> yeah. the 50th one. It'll be, yeah. it'll be yeah. Trevor there. Yeah, it's, it's funny. About. You probably didn't think back in, you know, in the 90s what you were doing was going to be something that would be mentioned in a historical podcast. No you know, 30, 30 years down the road. So uh, being a part of history and, and these events is, is important stuff. And uh, we have the ways to, to keep track of it and record it and, and for people to know about it for forever. And, it, and it's still just like the old days. It's still a fun event, one that I always look forward to every year. It's not, it's unlike Autumn Oaks. It's not the same. It's yeah. different, you know, but uh, still one that I thoroughly enjoy each year. And we hope to see you guys in Batesville this year. Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like and follow UKC Hunting Ops on Facebook and Instagram.